Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are with Dr. David Sinclair, PhD, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Lifespan. Dr. David Sinclair is a researcher with a specific area of interest on anti-aging, reversing aging, genetic engineering, and all the latest science. So I'm honored to have had the opportunity to sit down with David and talk about a pretty wide range of subjects. Now, I will say that this podcast was recorded over a year ago because of the pandemic and because of several reasons, one of which including being in residency, we kind of waited off uh, to post this episode. Nonetheless, it's still a great episode and I hope you guys enjoy this one. What's up, everybody? I'm with David Sinclair, author of Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to. We are at his office at Harvard and I'm very excited to be with you, David. Thank you so much. Um, how are you today? I'm great, Rami. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so my first question is, is the first 200-year-old human alive yet? <laughs> oh, well. I thought I'd throw you off with the first one. Yeah, I, I would doubt it. Um, I think even 150 is, is optimistic, but it's possible. Really? Okay. Yeah, but, but more likely what we're going to continue to see is the linear increase. Mm-hmm. In lifespan, it's been going on since 1820, mm-hmm. which means if that continues, a child born today in the US can expect to live at least to 104, mm-hmm. and in Japan to 107. That's the average <coughs> person. Mm-hmm. So, what's the maximum? Well, right now it's 122 years, mm-hmm. uh, which is still recording. Recording. Recorded, right? Yeah. It's probably people who live longer, right? Billions <laughs> of people. Uh, but we do seem to be coming up against our natural limit. Mm-hmm. Natural has never stopped us humans yeah. from. You're trying to challenge that right now. I definitely limits. Definitely, I'm trying to wake the world up because yeah. we've spent the last 200 years mm-hmm. tackling causes of end of life, uh, end of life death, mm-hmm. uh, without considering what drives us to the cliff in the first place. Mm-hmm. What, what got you started in this area of work? What sparked your interest in it? Like, why longevity? Yeah, well, I've always <clears throat> wanted to do biology uh, and medicine and research. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at humanity as though it's being judged. Isn't yeah. it? What kind of species are we? Are mm-hmm. we worthy of the club of advanced civilizations? Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I thought we were pretty pathetic. <laughs> <never did admission. laughs> yeah. I, I was a fairly um, obnoxious child thinking, why aren't people doing this or that? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me even as a four-year-old is why is no one talking about aging? Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is most of us, um, you know, very few exceptions, Forget about aging because it's too tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Conscious beings who yeah. don't live. Be too much anxiety if we were always thinking about the inevitable, right? Um, yeah, well, I'm not anxious. Maybe well, you don't believe it's time. inevitable. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm going to die one day, but I, I certainly yeah. think that we should be talking about it. Yeah. 
And we don't have to talk about death, but we should be talking about longevity and health mm -hmm. because the, the processes that lead to heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, are in large part based on the aging process. Mm -hmm. And for 200 years, we've ignored that that's the large part of healthcare. Mm -hmm. We treat old people, we treat sick people, <clears throat> yeah. but never asked how they get there in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's actually one of the points I was actually, when I was listening to another podcast episode, um, just disease process in general, because working in the hospital, we do see a lot of disease and we do see a lot of, you know, natural aging process, I guess what we'd call. And um, I remember that it just brought me back to a, a, a section of a book I was reading by Atul Gawande, and it was about, um, you know, life and death and disease and um, how disease is a natural part of aging. And it also he also mentioned somewhere along there like our lifespans are programmed and our you know the genetic the genetic aging process is programmed and i know that's something a lot of that's that's a big interest of yours kind of like the genetic programming of our dna of our cells and how that how you are currently actually trying to or you're doing work that is able to kind of override that process is that right oh uh, yeah i mean the first thing to clarify is that only 20% of our lifespan is right. programmed at the genetic level. Mm. The rest is epigenetic and changeable, mm. which is great. 80% of our health in old ages. And is this a recent lives. discovery, the 80% epigenetic? Uh, fairly, fairly recent. We, we used to think that we were driven to age by aging genes. There are no such things. Mm. There, are, there are longevity genes. Mm. Um, but these genes are not highly active unless we do the right things in life. We, Mm. lose our breath, we are hungry once in a while. Mm. These genes, they, they spend a lot of energy yeah. uh, fixing themselves. Uh, so the, but if there is a program that goes wrong, it's it's not the genetic program as much as the epigenetic program, the structures mm. that control how the cell reads the genome. Mm. And that is the 80%. And the good news is that that's much more flexible. Mm. The bad news is that it's much more susceptible to decay and to noise. Yeah, That information is... It's like a cassette tape. Uh, if you copy it many times, you lose the signal, mm -hmm. the original signal. But what we've discovered in my lab recently is that mm -hmm. you can use a gene therapy to reboot the cell and restore the original youthful epigenome. Mm -hmm. Essentially, just uh, finding the backup hard drive of the cell and okay. restarting it. Okay. And how sore are you doing that? How? Yeah. Well, we, we're using mice still because it's mm -hmm. much quicker. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't have as, as many complaints, uh -huh. um, but it was, it's good for them. We take old mice mm -hmm. and we either um, give them glaucoma, mm -hmm. which is pressure in the eyes. I think everyone will yeah. know. Yeah. Um, or just old mice, regular old mice. We can take them off the shelf. Two-year-old mice or one-year-old mice in this case. Uh, they've lost a lot of their vision, mm -hmm. and I'm about that age now. <laughs> well, you don't years. look it. Uh, I'm 50. <laughs> so I'm wondering. And so okay. I'm starting about the same age as me. Lose, lose my <laughs> so we can use the gene therapy. We mm -hmm. turn it on in the eyes of the mice, and yeah. the retinas function again like they were young. Mm -hmm. The gene pattern, the ex gene expression pattern, mm -hmm. goes back to being young mm -hmm. somehow. Um, we know some of the machinery. There are enzymes called TETs that remove methyls off DNA, mm -hmm. except the clock of these cells. Mm -hmm. uh, but most importantly, the mice get their eyesight back because they were young again. Oh, wow. And that's a proof of concept in a mouse eye. But I think it's going to apply across the board. If we can reset the eye, we can probably reset most organs. Mm, okay. If we can do it in a mouse, I'm hopeful we can do it in people as well. Mm.
how far away is that kind of technology, do you think? Oh, I can do it tomorrow if I had money and all the resources. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's just the hardest part is raising the money, Yeah, getting people together, getting through regulation, proving mm -hmm. hopefully that it's safe. Mm -hmm. that, that's the hard part. Yeah. You know, some scientists think that there are these translation fairies that come along and <laughs> take your publication and make drugs out of them. Right. I wish that were true. Right. And that's the hard work, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But was, well, going to that 80%, what other things would contribute to the 80%, the controllable factors, I guess you could say, in terms of longevity? Like, where is the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to longevity in terms of controllable lifestyle kind of things? The, uh, the biggest bang for the buck would be um, go hungry. Mm, yes. I'm so sorry. Don't worry. Yep. Yeah, so the biggest bang for the buck is uh, to eat less often. Uh, not malnutrition, not, not starvation, mm. here, uh, but it's just been proven over and over again that mm. in animals, mice, spiders, dogs, monkeys, that that's an extraordinarily mm. simple way and proven way to stave off. Mm -hmm. uh, the diseases of aging. Mm -hmm. That one's pretty easy. Um, I'm here with a cup of tea, so mm -hmm. I've skipped breakfast and lunch so far. Okay. I try to do that every day, yeah. and I have a regular, normal dinner um, mm -hmm. with an emphasis on plant-based foods mostly. Mm -hmm. But I'm not—I don't go crazy. I don't measure mm -hmm. everything I eat. Yeah. Um, so that's the main thing. But the other is pretty easy, accessible to everybody. Is a a gym. Mm -hmm. And a com combination of high-intensity interval training, so 10 minutes, lose your breath, mm -hmm. pant a lot, mm -hmm. um, and flexibility. <clears throat> and also building up muscle, especially around your hips, so yeah. you don't fall over when you're older. Why, why is that important compared to just regular exercise where you're not necessarily losing your breath? Uh, well, walking <clears throat> is still good, um, but the real benefit uh, that's been shown in, in epidemiological studies mm -hmm. and is also borne out in labs like mine where we study mouse physiology mm -hmm. is that that hypoxic response mm -hmm. uh, turns on the longevity pathways. The one that we study are called the sirtuins mm -hmm. and one in particular called SIRT1, that gene and that enzyme that's produced by the gene uh, is activated by hypoxia. And so that all of these things that I'm telling people that they should consider and mm -hmm. things that I do are essentially hormesis, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. And the response of the sirtuins is to become more active, to try and survive what they perceive as a adversity or threats to survival. Mm -hmm. And that's the key to longevity. Mm -hmm. Don't don't sit down, don't eat a lot of food, because your defenses, the sirtuins, will mm -hmm. be inactive. Yeah. It seems like to me, a lot of times when I'm hearing this, I'm just thinking back to like our evolution, our biology. It seems like, you know, to survive you must have had to go long periods of time without eating. Um, we have to be able to, you know, sustain our testosterone levels to go make the hunt and get the kill. And your brain has to be working in, a, in an efficient manner. And I'm always kind of, cause it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Because you think that the longer you go without eating, the less, you know, the less aware, the less, you know, able you are, but from what I've read and from what I've heard is that that's actually not the case. Yeah. Right. We used yeah. to think that calorie restriction mm -hmm. um, and intermittent fasting, um, they reduce metabolism. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out it's the opposite. You actually burn more oxygen, you get mm -hmm. more mitochondria, might make more ATP. Mm -hmm. You do burn fat. 
Mm. Right? You don't want to be calorie restricting if you've got zero fat. That's, mm. that's not right. You're yeah. losing your lean muscle mass. Mm. But, you know, for most of us living in the world of plenty, in mm. the US, yeah. for example, uh, we've got plenty of energy available to mm. us every day, including a nice uh, yeah. padding. <laughs> and so it doesn't hurt at all to, to be going hungry. Right. And what the body does is it, it speeds up metabolism. Mm. It's creating more energy. Mm. Um, it's tackling free radicals. Mm. And it's um, it's reducing your fat, mm. which is you know I don't know anyone who likes to mm. excess fat. On their <laughs> <Right>. body. <laughs> yeah, true. So tell, why is it? So I've read a few different things on this topic versus like calorie restriction versus going full on intermittent fasting. Why is going full on intermittent fasting more beneficial? What's like that pathophysiology? I guess. Well, I haven't seen evidence that intermittent fasting is better than caloric restriction. In mm -hmm. mice, it's about the same. It okay. could be about 20% extension. It depends mm -hmm. on the mouse and right. the food and all of that. What, what struck me, though, was that the mice on intermittent fasting can eat almost as much as they would normally if they were mm -hmm. always at access, if they always had access to food. Mm -hmm. So that means you can, for a mouse and if you're a human, you can lead a relatively normal life. I'm taking in normal dinners. I'm enjoying life. Mm -hmm. And it's that period between meals that does the good work. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same as in mouse. The, the best study I know of was done by my colleague Rafael Takabo. Mm -hmm. We were just doing the anti-calorie restriction at his house for mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. Yeah. We fly down to Baltimore to spend time with him. Yeah. But he's the world's expert on calorie restriction fasting. And he showed that in very different um, diets, he had about 10,000 mice, and he had different compositions. He had mm. fat, carbohydrate, uh, protein, and he mm. was thinking, oh, he's going to show that one of them is better than the other. Yeah. It turns out they were all the same. The only different group that lived longer were the ones that had their food for only two hours a day. Oh. Oh. So the take-away yeah. message from that study, assuming you're a mouse yeah. and it applies to humans, mm -hmm. is that it's not so much what you eat, it's when you eat that's mm -hmm. important. Yeah. What do you th what do you think the reasoning behind that is though? Because from what I I, mean, I just kind of think of things in kind of like a practical sense, you know, like you think when you're eating all the time, you're constantly putting food through your digestive system, your digestive system's always at work, it's always, you know, nonstop, not taking a break. Do you think kind of taking a break from that, like having that long period of time where your body's not at work gives your body, you know, some time to kind of heal other parts of your body? Or is it more kind of like the biochemical processes that are happening when you're in a prolonged fast? It's the second, for sure. There, okay. there are processes that yeah. we have in our body that heal us, mm -hmm. protect us from aging, and slow down that clock, mm -hmm. um, and particularly changes the epigenome. Mm -hmm. And they, they only do as much work as they need to. Mm -hmm. They will not use up energy if they don't need to. They prefer to put on fat. So they switch themselves off mm -hmm. and you get fat um, at the expense of surviving yeah. and repairing cells. So when you are hungry, you're, of course, burning fat. We know that's what happens when you stop eating, right? It's so mm -hmm. obvious it doesn't even need to be said. Yeah. But what the body's response is that during those periods, that energy that's being sucked out of the fat mm -hmm. and the liver is being put to good use to defend the body um, and do other things, repair mm -hmm. it. For example, if you do a prolonged fast, um, even what I'm doing now for 18 hours, mm -hmm. you will upregulate autophagy, mm -hmm. which is removing the yeah. bad proteins from the cell. Mm -hmm. That's all good. 
right? If you're eating all the time, your, your body doesn't bother fixing itself. Mm-hmm. It says, hey, plenty of food. Let's mm-hmm. build, let's, let's, at the expense of a long-lived body, mm-hmm. let's grow, let's reproduce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, growth hormone, testosterone, mm-hmm. these are all putting you in the basket of right, looking good, building the body. Mm-hmm. But I suspect at the end of life, it's going to come back to bite people. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that a lot too, the, the growth hormone in particular um, and how that affects your growth. Can you go into a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's now been close to thirty years since it was first discovered by Cynthia Kenyon that mm. the insulin signaling pathway controls lifespan in yeah. nematodes. Uh, but it's it's true in, in mice, it's true in flies, mm. uh, it's true in us that insulin signaling and the downstream pathways, which are the sirtuins, there's another one called AMPK, which metformin mm. activates. There's mm. another one called mTOR, which amino acids um, stimulate. These are under the control of insulin signal. Mm. And when you're hungry, it'll, it'll signal to those pathways to, to act mm. and save the body. There's a particular transcription factor that turns on repair genes called FOXO3, which I, do, I also talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And if you've done a genetic test, you can take a look if you have the active variant of FOXO3. Mm. Uh, I have one puppy, and my other one is the pathetic version. <laughs> uh, yeah, two of our kids uh, got both mm. versions from my wife and I. Mm. Um, our son has more work to do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so, I guess I'm going to move on for a second, and I want to get into like, what is your, what's the most interesting, what what are you most interested right now in terms of your research and in terms of future potential of longevity? Well, the the epigenome and the, the information theory of aging, as I'm calling it, mm. the idea that um, our genetics is not our destiny and the reason that we age, um, if you boil it down to an equation, is essentially it's a loss of information, mm. epigenetic information mainly, mm. to a lesser extent genetic. That's a radical idea. And if it's true, it means that we can drive aging in the forwards and reverse direction, which we've done in mice, mm-hmm. uh, as mentioned in the eye is surprisingly reversible in age. Yeah. Um, and we can also drive it forward. We can damage the, the chromatin, as mm-hmm. it's called, mm-hmm. the structures that bind up the DNA. And uh, we can cause aging in mice. Mm-hmm. We can make mice 50% older and get all the aspects of aging. Mm-hmm. So that that's the foundation for the next five to 10 years of my lab, mm-hmm. trying to figure out where is that backup hard drive yeah. in the cell? Where's mm-hmm. that information stored that we can access yeah. with our gene therapy? Is it um, a chemical on the DNA? Is it a chemical on the chromatin, the proteins? Yeah. Um, or is it something quantum? We don't know yet, but we're looking. Mm-hmm. And then the second area that we're really excited about is what other parts of the body can we reprogram? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it seems to be, I know that's contradiction, mm-hmm. but it seems to be really safe. Mm-hmm. We've reprogrammed the whole body of the mouse now forever. And mm-hmm. There's no downside that you can see. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need to do a lot more in humans to remove mm-hmm. that. And then finally, I'd love to get away from gene therapy. Mm-hmm. It's expensive to develop and slow and and elitist. Um, I want to be able to have a pill. I want to have a cream for people. Mm. And we're working on making molecules, finding natural molecules that will reprogram the yes. cells, reboot the body mm. to be young. Wow, that's it's pretty remarkable um, and exciting. Um, 
Speaking of pills, I know you've talked about metformin a lot and um, misphetrol, uh, NED as well. You kind of it's kind of like the cocktail you talk about. What? So we we prescribe metformin all the time, um, and we typically do it when someone comes in with an A1C greater than, let's say, six point five, right? Um, you there's there's there has been shown benefit that or shown studies that it can benefit, you know, everyday people, not necessarily diabetic, can help with inflammation, with a number of things. I know uh, you're familiar with Peter Atia. He talks a lot about metformin. Um, what's your take on metformin for, like, healthy individuals? You know, well, the, the data is really compelling. It's, it's, um, it's retrospective, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But... I think there's enough data in over 100,000 people who are mm-hmm. taking metformin now to know that it reduces the incidence of some types of cancer by up to 40%. Good thing. Mm-hmm. It reduces the incidence of heart disease, good thing. Frailty, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, all good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given that, uh, I've started taking metformin. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone's wondering, um, it's also part of the calculation that I have. Uh, have very bad family history of diabetes. Mm, okay. My grandmother had a stroke of 30, so this is yeah. not fun, not a funny thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think even if I wasn't headed towards type 2 diabetes, I would still consider metformin mm-hmm. because the downsides are pretty low. Mm-hmm. I mean, contamination excluded. Yeah. Um, the pure molecule has been in probably 100 million or more yeah. people by now. Huh. And as long as you can tolerate it, the risk is pretty low. But the, the upside, Mm-hmm. If it's true what I've just said, mm-hmm. that all of those diseases go down in mm-hmm. frequency, I mean, you'd have to be crazy not to consider it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, where are the benefits coming from in terms of longevity and health benefits with the metformin specifically? Right. Well, so probably, and this is the consensus in the field, mm-hmm. is that metformin is a dirty molecule, mm-hmm. so it's going to do a lot of things. Right. But it... Um, the AMPK activation part of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. We know that if you turn on AMPK in worms, it will live longer. Mm-hmm. Um, AMPK is important because it's talking to the other two main longevity pathways, so tulins mm-hmm. and PIN4. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what it's doing. It's raising NAD levels. It's helping to shut down mTOR. Mm-hmm. It's improving insulin sensitivity, which is a good thing for a variety of reasons, metabolic and for these defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- there's no... You know, simple answer to that. Right. It's probably working for many different ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, though, it's the only safe, quote-unquote, safe drug on the market mm-hmm. that shows signs of being, I don't want to say the word anti-aging because that's got bad negative connotations. Right. <laughs> has the chance of delaying age-related diseases is the formal way. But mm-hmm. rapamycin also has some promise, but it's mm-hmm. got such side effects mm-hmm. at high doses that it's not worth considering, in my view, for someone who's Mm-hmm. doing all the other right things. Right. And how are you taking Are you taking a daily, a long-time dose? Yeah, I take, well, so I don't take it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so rigorous about it. Mm-hmm. I often don't take it if I've just gone to the gym. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to the gym because there's some evidence, both with resveratrol, red wine molecule, and forming that mimics exercise, but it also um, stops muscles from becoming hypertrophic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so that's partly vanity because actually the, the 
those studies, the ones that came out about a year ago, mm. that Peter Atia yeah. uh, freaked out about, <laughs> yeah. uh, became curious about. Yeah. Um, they were overblown. You know, scientists, when they published, they have to find the, the, error, the, the biggest difference. There were more similarities than differences. The right. similarities were all, group, all groups, these older people doing exercises, gain strength and muscle. Mm. But the metformin group, had slightly less muscle gain okay. in size, but not strength. Strength was the same. Mm, and there was a lot less yeah. inflammation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's overblown, but still with an abundance of caution because metformin does a number on my stomach anyway. Oh, I yeah. don't take it every day. Mm. I try to. Um, and it often depends on what, I, what I'm eating as well. Mm-hmm. I find that if I take, if I actually eat meat with metformin, it doesn't digest very well. Really? So it, mm. it does a number of good things, I think. One is the usual that everyone knows about mm. insulin. But it also stops me from eating meat, and it mm. also stops me from being too hungry. Mm. So if, as today, I took metformin um, in the morning, mm. and at lunchtime, I don't feel like eating. Mm. And, uh, so that's, that's Maybe there's some alternate pathway that's happening that we don't know about yet <laughs> in terms of the hunger aspect yeah, or your appetite aspect. It feels like my stomach is, is being, uh, yeah. I've eaten something already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how long how long have you been doing all this? How long have you been taking kind of like your longevity and your health very seriously and doing the metformin? And, well, it's an evolution. Yeah. And I started in my 20s, actually my teens, I was going to the gym like a nut case. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent every day in the gym when I was in grad school. Oh, really? Yeah, out of control. I can us every day, right? What? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty fit. Uh, I'm certainly only a third as strong as I was before. I was. I, I love the gym and I love it. So yeah. I've always tried to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And even though I have genes for obesity, mm-hmm. and I would be obese if I didn't watch it, mm-hmm. I've tried to stay in my BMI range of 23, 24, mm-hmm. and succeeded, but only because it's a lot of workout. Mm-hmm. I try to eat the right kinds of food. I stop eating desserts at 40. Mm. Um, and if you still no desserts at all. Once no in a while? desserts at all. I, I try to not even, even eat any sugar. I haven't had wow. sugar directly. Well, that's why you have more hair than me at 50. That's more. Oh, wait. Can we fix that with the gene stuff? We, we want, I, we're going to try, actually. Okay. Let me know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be the first to know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, wow. If there are still... Uh, Stem cells that we can recover. Yeah. Speaking of, that's actually an interesting topic because we were listening on our way here um, to that the episode with Ed Milet and, you know, talking a lot about the stuff that we're doing with, um, like you mentioned, like the optic nerve with the programming. It seems like there could be some crossover with stem cells or is there any crossover with that? Well, the, the gene therapy that we use for reprogramming the body was originally used by Shinya Yamanaka to turn adult cells, like a skin cell, into a stem cell. Mm. So there's a lot of overlap, actually. But instead of doing what Yamanaka did and drive them back to the age of zero, mm. which would not be good, we do not want to turn ourselves into a pile of stem cells right. or a giant tumor. <laughs> uh, we, we've we figured out that there's a combination of these factors that is less potent but mm. effective at reversing aging to the right level. Mm. Um, what we don't know is if we reverse the age of the stem cells specifically in the body, what happens then? Is that sufficient? Or in the case of the eye, do we need to reprogram each of the specific nerves in the eye? We know that if you reprogram those nerves in the eye, 
they don't suddenly make the whole eye young, only the cells that get the treatment. Mm. So we call that cell autonomous. Mm. Okay. So what, is it feasible then where like you would take a pill that could target something that specific? Uh, yeah. To get to the right environment? Yeah. Right, right now, you could, well, you could do it genetically easily. You know, okay. You can engineer a mouse to turn this on uh. in stem cells, which is one of the experiments I'd like to do. Mm. Right now, taking a pill with target stem cells is not possible. Mm -hmm. There may be adeno-associated uh, viruses or lentiviruses that people are evolving to target particular cell types mm. that one day you could deliver them specifically. Mm. Yeah, but we're not there yet. What do you think, like, let's see, 20, 30 years down the line from today, where where will we be in your mind in the advancement of anti-aging, what we're doing with cell reprogramming? Um, where, do you, where do you think we'll be in? Yeah, as I, as I write in my, my book, it's a lot of converging technologies. One mm -hmm. is um, the pills that we're talking about. Some are available, some are becoming available. So mm -hmm. in 30 years, there should be drugs that can be prescribed that are known to slow down aging. And then mm -hmm. will be seen as old technology. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, but what's happening also is we've got the digital revolution, mm -hmm. uh, along with um, bio-tracking. Mm -hmm. Not bio-hacking, but bio-tracking. What so is that exactly? Well, it's it's the, the monitoring of your health in real time, mm -hmm. rather than going for an annual physical, mm -hmm. or waiting until you get sick. Yeah, I like that. So I'm, yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, I monitor my blood glucose in real time. Yeah. I've got one of those. Yeah, oh, you do? Yeah. Do you wear it out every day? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I've been wanting cool. to do that. Learning a lot. Yeah, because yeah, you, I mean, you get so familiar with your body and you just know, you start to like realize what foods trigger what things. Yeah, and, like, where you get your spikes. Often, yeah. It's probably individual as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So there's that combined with uh, the ring that I wear, which monitors my heart rate, my sleep, mm. I've got activity on my wrist, yeah. I've got blood tests from a local testing group. Mm. Um, a company in, in Cambridge here in Boston. And together, that I have a primitive dashboard on my body to know what's happening. Yeah. And I've got 11 years of data, yeah. uh, blood work. Yeah. So I can see what's happened to me over the last decade yeah. or so. And that does two things. One is I can tailor what I do uh, to optimize mm -hmm. before I get sick. Otherwise, how would you know what to fix? Mm -hmm. Whether something's working for you or not. And the other is it makes me cognizant of what I'm doing. Am I going to skip going to the gym if I know that I can see it, you know, on my on my watch, or am I going? Am I still going to shove a whole bunch of uh, rice, white rice, and down my throat yeah. and forget about it? Right. If I know it's going to show up on my iPhone as a, as a big absolutely, spike. yeah. See, if I saw that, if I was eating something and I see like that huge spike, I'm going to stop eating it. Well, that's yeah. what it does. Yeah. Feedback is it's all yeah. about, and I don't use my mouth as a garbage can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess knowledge is very much power in that sense. You almost play, you almost start to see it as a game, probably. It's totally a game. I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll show you a graph. I know it's, it's all yeah. here. You can see the kind of data that I get. Yeah, you had a cheesecake right there. Yeah, <laughs> good days and bad days. That's a good day where there's only one little blip. Mm -hmm. um, this is about 10 a.m. I might have eaten an apple or something. But yeah. for the rest of the day, yeah. it's good. a little bit for dinner. So yeah, when you're hovering at, what is that baseline at? Uh, that is... Um, I'm typically around, what is that, 75, oh, wow. like you 75 yeah. to 80 during That's the day. That's awesome. Yeah. And rarely do I go above 100. Wow. 
That's really cool. Um, you know, I think I'm going to start doing that to myself now. <laughs> I think you're going to say I'm curious about myself. So yeah. the other thing that I can tell from my ring is my resting heart rate. <laughs> so it's, it's about 46. And I'm 46. And I'm, I'm not an athlete. I go to the gym once a week. You're not hypothyroid. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. That would show up on my tests. Yeah. But yeah, um, um, what we found in our mouse studies mm. is that when you treat with resveratrol mm. or the molecule I take for the MMM, mm. they have much better vasculature. They can run 50% further. They don't get tired, less lactate. Mm. They just run and run and run. And I find that they've got the same effect on me. Mm. No, the resveratrol. Well, I don't know. I mean, I haven't yeah. done a clinical trial, and yeah. the N of one is impossible to know. Mm -hmm. But what I see in my body fits with what mice are showing. Right. Hmm. Do you, so with the, you mentioned the heart rate being low, and is that a factor in terms of health and longevity? Yeah. Your, yeah. your resting heart rate, your blood glucose levels are two things that um, correlate with longevity mm -hmm. um, associated, I should say. And then... Uh, so one of the calculations for longevity that's done by that local company I mentioned, it's called the inner age test. And when you run that, part of it's based on your glucose levels um, and other things, inflammation, testosterone, vitamin D. Um, not resting heart rate, because that is fairly variable, mm. but it's still a good indicator. Yeah. If it's rising for you over time, mm. that's a bad thing, right? Yeah. But it, because it's individual and you need to track it over years, they don't use that in their calculations. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy because I come from a, a family of Ashkenazi Jews that oh, used to okay. die in the 70s from heart disease. Mm. Uh, and you know, my father and I, he's 80, I'm 50, mm. we're you know, paragons of good health. He at 80 doesn't have any issues with any disease, no aches mm. and pains, mm. and he's literally stronger and fitter than I am. Mm. Did that play, did your family history play any role in you kind of exploring the genetic realm? Um... No, not really. I didn't know that my family had such bad genes until I did my genome, and that was mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't I know you. I was Jewish. Oh, really? Didn't tell me. No, oh, wow. It's a big secret to keep from you. It is. They, they tried to forget about it. Mm -hmm. They told me that I was half Hungarian, but they didn't say that I was traditionally Jewish. Oh, okay. They converted just before World War II and survived a lot mm -hmm. of our relatives that didn't convert mm -hmm. or killed off. Mm. And that's probably traumatic enough to not yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked that was because, um, as you know, Ashkenazis, Jew, Jews have um, more genetic um, predispositions to certain things. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. a zoo of mutations. Oh. My body sucks. Uh, I, well, I mean, you're doing pretty well. You're 50. How old? I'm 50. 50, okay. And for those of you who can't see David, he looks like maybe 32, 33. Uh, well, maybe yeah. a little dry. 35. 35. I'll give you 35. Yeah, you still have the same amount of hair. You have good hair. Yeah. I haven't got a great hair yet. So, so far, so good. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, all right. Well, a couple more things um, maybe you can leave our audience with and, you know, just kind of like some practical steps in terms of intermittent fasting, NAD, people that really want to kind of feel younger, look younger. What are some steps that they can take? Ah, oh, well, okay. Jump to page 302 of mm -hmm. the book. So a lot of it's listed there. Uh, and we also have a newsletter mm -hmm. uh, for updates. But the main things are, uh, summaries are, um, here's what I do. I don't recommend anything. I'm not a mm -hmm. MD, I'm a PhD. Mm -hmm. But 
I've read thousands of papers. This is mm. what I do. I, I try to skip breakfast. I do skip breakfast. I try to skip lunch. Mm. I avoid sugar. I eat plants that have been grown under stress conditions, preferably, because they make mm. great molecules like the virtual. Mm. Probably to keep their own defenses up. Mm. And we've evolved, I think, to sense those. Mm. Uh, I do a lot of exercise, um, strength training, um, flexibility, and uh, this hypoxia. Mm -hmm. I really hate running. I can tell you that. <laughs> but yeah. um, I can do it for 10 minutes a yeah. week. I, sh I should do a lot more, but I don't. Yeah. Three times a week would be best, at least, I would mm -hmm. say, uh, for at least 10 minutes. Uh, I also do uh, sauna and cold plunge mm, okay. at the gym. Yeah. And that, there's, there's science behind that. Yeah. Um, I think having a good outlook, friends, family, don't mm. get your cortisol levels up too high. Yes, and I wanted I to touch on that. Yeah. Don't lie. Be a good person as mm. best you can. Mm. And chill. We're going to talk about that, yeah. You know, kind of like the other spirituals, you know, mental health. and I guess. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. The, the longest lived people, yeah. they always say, yeah, I didn't worry too much about things. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I actually ask this question to any patient I see that's, you know, over 95, right? Over 90 or 95. Every single one, I always ask, what's the key? What is the key to living to your age? Or especially if I see older couples that have been married for a long time, I would be like, what's the key? Um, I had a couple of really good responses. Um, but some, I mean, the, the theme is pretty reoccurring. I had one 95-year-old gentleman, um, didn't have any medical problems. Wow. No, didn't even take a single pill. His key was dancing. He just, yeah. I was like, you know what's the key he's like just, just keep moving just keep moving keep dancing he actually said that he's like never stop moving he's like keep dancing every day um yeah the other thing and he also said um having a pretty girlfriend oh well yeah, <laughs> that. my great grandfather had five wives and they were all the same age when he married them oh so wait really is he your great grandfather yeah oh wow yeah no, Hungarian side oh wow uh, but he he died in on his honeymoon in bed with his 25 year old wife how old was he Oh, in the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah, they can't pull that off anymore, I don't think. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but they do say uh, to live a long lifespan, you should yeah. hang on to the handrail because so many people fall over. Right. Yeah. So that's why I do the hip hinge exercises, keep strong mm. legs. Yeah. yeah. They say, you know, just, um, I mean, we say, you know, our, you know, just a person's ability to kind of stand up out of a chair on their own, that's a very big indicator of how long they're going to live, you know, if they're going to make it for the next 10 years, right. five years. Well, yeah. yeah, and standing up off the floor without too much effort is a mm -hmm. good one. And even number of push-ups is another one. Yeah. My father came to the gym to test how strong he was compared to me. And my trainer said, man, you're, you're doing great. You know, you're stronger than your son. Um, and he said, you know what? I had someone your exact age this morning yeah. as one of my clients. And he was learning how to get up out of the chair. Yeah. What a difference. And mm -hmm. Largely, I think, because my father has stayed active his whole life. Mm -hmm. He has added on some of the extra things that yeah. in the book that I do as well. Yeah. That don't seem to be hurting him. Yeah, yeah. Muscle strength is a huge indicator. I mean, we get it, after you see so many patients, you kind of get a clinical idea of who's going to do well and who's not. And if, if someone's getting up and walking, it's a very good thing. But I know um, this has been such a great conversation. Um, uh, I've got my mind spinning a lot right now and i'm definitely going to do that uh glucose monitoring um but thank you so much where can people follow you where can they find you if they want to learn more about you uh yeah so the, the book is available everywhere audio book i read it myself if you mm -hmm. 
understand my voice. Mm -hmm. um, and there's added extras between chapters. Uh, you can get updates on all social media. Mm -hmm. I'm active on Twitter and Instagram mm -hmm. and Facebook. And then uh, the website where you sign up to the newsletter, mm -hmm. which is a longer format, of course, is called lifespanbook.com. Awesome. Dr. David Sinclair, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's good to talk to you. Thank you.